0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment
1: opportunities. So, yes, I'm invested and interested in the whole panoply of battery metals, but I'm sort of uh, less oriented towards the Elon Musk Tesla story and more oriented towards increasing population growth uh, and the ascent of man as an investment thesis around electricity metals.
0: Welcome back into Mining Stock Education. I am Bill Powers. Really appreciate you tuning in. And for the several ones of you that uh, added new reviews to iTunes and some of the other podcast applications, really do appreciate that as well. If you want to say thank you, if this show has contributed to your investing in the resource sector, please do leave a rating and review on whatever podcast app that you listen to this show on. Well, today's show is going to be brought to you by Gold Terra Resource Corp. The website is goldterracorp.com. And if you haven't heard my recent two interviews with Gerald Penton, the executive chairman, I'm going to put a link to those in the show note, a little background on Gerald. He bought the Detour Lake Prop for 75 million dollars in 2006 when it had 1.4 million gold ounces fast forward six years he grew it to over 15 million ounces of reserves and had it in production and for the gold industry that's moving at warp speed but now he's with gold terra and he says he is more excited about this project because of the high grade nature than even what he did at detour lake go check it out at GoldterraCorp.com. my guest today is rick rule president and ceo of sprott us holding Rick, thanks for coming back on the show. And I was going over our past interviews, and I was uh, seeing that 18 months ago at PDAC 2019, you told me that you were deploying your own money in the royalty and streaming space right now. So I'm wondering, are you still doing that? And if so, what type of royalty company has your attention?
1: You know, in truth, Bill, I am. Um, The whole mining space, obviously the precious metals mining space, has enjoyed tremendous upward momentum since that period of time. And you will recall that it was actually the royalty and streaming space that led uh, the equity part of the precious metals gold bull market. So I've certainly enjoyed uh, a nice move. And I need to differentiate for this discussion between deploying my own money and deploying client money. Uh, I am deploying my own money in some of the... uh, Smaller royalty and streaming companies. Uh, I am deploying new client money, particularly when it's generalist money that's coming into the mining sector for the first time or where those generalists are uh, under invested in mining in the senior royalty and streaming companies. Uh, I myself uh, have uh, taken care of my allocations that are sort of beta related, which is to say the Francos and the Wheatons of the world. Uh, but I've been using this pullback uh, to buy some of the s- smaller but still uh, reasonable, reasonable size uh, royalty and streaming companies where I see uh, intelligent capital spends – uh, nice free cash and protect in, in particular free cash growth. And I am doing that with my own money.
0: You invest in the intellect intellectual property of the management teams. Uh, you're on record, uh, that you have invested in EMX royalty and that was the prospect generator sl- turned into royalty company. And with that model, it's kind of like a slow burn rather than finance guys going out, raising money, bidding on a, a royalty and getting it and launching a company it's geologists uh, producing a royalty company over decades. At this point in your career, would you still invest in a more of a slow burn company like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not a market player, uh, particularly, you know, the fact that uh, an overheated sector may get more overheated uh, is interesting to me, but not relevant. Uh, And I'm much more interested in process and probability. So, The names like EMX Royalty, as an example, or Altius, as an example, uh, are extremely appealing. Uh, Companies that have the ability to generate their own royalties at bargain basement prices, but also as a consequence of having their ear to the ground uh, and knowing the technical community, uh, have the ability to buy royalties uh, before other people see them. Uh, I like the disciplined nature of the capital allocation process that goes on uh, at each of uh, Altius, EMX and Golden Valley for that matter, uh, all of whom are uh, employing variants of the prospect generator slash royalty slash streaming business. They're all top quality people. Uh, they're all immune or largely immune to the sort of sins of the mining capital markets game. Uh, and and I, I'm i attracted to all of them.
0: If you had to choose between base metal royalties, which there aren't that many of them out there, versus gold royalties, uh, what would you be more bullish on?
1: Function of price and value, to be honest with you. Uh, I, My personal belief is that the global economy will stay slow or perhaps become slower from here so i don't see upside in industrial materials and base metals prices for some time mercifully for the last six months i've been very wrong on that call and i hope for all of us i continue to be wrong but i continue to make investment decisions based on that so i would expect more timely performance in the precious metals side Uh, i'm attracted to the fact that um, The royalty and streaming portfolio that I have uh, represents a a wonderful uh, range really of companies that have the ability and the knowledge to do billion dollar transactions, which I think are going to occur in the next couple of years. I think you'll see some surprising transactions Uh, companies that have the ability to attract royalty packages uh, from the majors exploration portfolios as an example. Uh, and companies that have the ability to create uh, their own royalties. I'm commodity agnostic, really. It really has to do with opportunity, uh, price, and terms.
0: Rick, I've been researching some smaller royalty slash prospect generation companies, and I was asking myself the question, at what point does a speculation in in this sector turn into an investment? Can you help me answer that? Some of these smaller royalties, at what point do they actually become an investment and are no longer a speculation?
1: Uh, I consider uh, the difference between investment and speculation uh, uh, as being uh, an investment is an allocation of capital based on a probabilistic rate of return. Uh, I consider speculation to be an allocation of capital with the possibility of outsized gains but certainly no probability so a small company that you know where their portfolio consists of perhaps one or two very short-lived producing royalties uh, and then a bunch of exploration royalties is certainly in the speculative category Uh, I would say That uh, any company, uh, you know, irrespective of sort of size, that doesn't generate uh, substantial free cash, not just at the operational level, but after general and administrative expense, is determinedly speculative. And I would argue that, uh, and this might be more sophisticated than some of your listeners want to burden themselves with, but any companies which are issuing fresh equity... Uh, at, uh, at or about, you know, sort of a, a discount to their ascribed value are probably telling you that the money is worth more than their shares are. <laughs> so, you know, speculation has uh, a lot to do with security and probability. And my own portfolio now and the portfolios that we've uh, constructed for literally thousands of clients uh, in the royalty and streaming space there's a really good balance uh, between um, truly investment quality companies, companies generating substantial free cash with 80 or 85% operating margins, very low cost of capital, large, large uh, availability of credit lines, and the ability to do billion-dollar transactions, uh, you know, all the way down the qualities trail. We should flesh out, by the way, for your listeners, um, uh, the billion-dollar transaction theme, it's my belief that uh, base metals companies uh, have their precious metals, that is to say their gold and silver cash flow, valued in line with their base metals cash flow. So for a copper producer, as an example, the byproduct gold is often valued in their market cap at six or seven times EBIT. That same revenue stream Uh, in Franco or Wheaton can be valued at 15, 16, 17 times EBIT. So a a transaction where a large base metals company sells uh, the byproduct precious metals credit from a large base metals project uh, has the ability to substantially lower the cost of capital for the base metals mining company while at the same time being per share accretive to the large royalty company. Many people are knocking the royalty and streaming space now, saying that the big transactions are behind us. There's no way to grow. And I disagree with that statement profoundly. Uh, I think these companies still have the ability to grow, and they will grow by lowering the cost of capital uh, to base metals companies, including the biggest base metals companies in the world.
0: Rick, I've asked this question to previous guests, and I've been wondering about it for some time myself, but why do the gold and preci- the precious metals royalties get bid up higher r- than the base metal royalties? People just ignore it. It's not as you know, attractive. Or What is your thoughts here? Why is there such a differentiation?
1: I think the market's perception, and I think it's a real perception, is that there is more near-term upside in precious metals prices than there is in base metals prices. And precious metals in bull markets enjoy more upside volatility anyway. As an example, in the uh, 2000 to 2011 bull market, the gold price went from, what, $250 to $1,900. Copper had a nice move too, uh, $0.75 cents to 375 dollars or $4. But the expectation is that precious metals have more upside than base metals and that that upside will come sooner. Uh, And I I think that's probably a correct bias. Uh, I'm not saying for sure it's true, but it's certainly the way I'm betting. I see all of the policy prescriptions put in place by the central banks and governments as being um, immediately prospective for precious metals. And I see the global economy um, perhaps setting the stage for three or four years of tepid performance in industrial materials and base metals, followed to be sure by what I think will be a rip-roaring bull market then, but not now.
0: I'm interested to see what you could share publicly about Sprott's assessment about uh, Tesla and its impact on the commodity prices such as nickel and what we've seen recently with, they had their battery day, they signed an agreement with Piedmont Lithium and that shares went up fourfold out of the gate. I don't know what it's at now, I haven't checked, but. Tesla is definitely having an impact on the mining sector. Can you share anything about how you at Sprott have analyzed this?
1: I think uh, we have different opinions in-house. I think in the near term, the importance is mostly narrative. Uh, Elon Musk is one of the best storytellers in the world. And if somebody from the mining industry, which has no shortage of good storytellers, says that, he's a truly superb storyteller. The truth is that I think that the electrification of the world is more important than electric vehicles Uh, I think demand for uh, generating materials and for energy itself will be more impacted by connecting 1.2 billion people to the grid who are not currently connected frankly than the electric vehicle market but I don't think that the electric vehicle market is the whole story I think distributed uh, generation um, be it wind be it solar uh, be it Uh, gas-fired peaking plants. Uh, I think in investments in the developed world uh, around a smart grid, we need to invest trillions of dollars in the grid. Uh, And then investments in distributed storage, which is a fancy way of saying battery, are all themes that are going to be important to the mining business. I think you need to look metal by metal by metal, commodity by commodity. I don't see us having a shortage of lithium, actually. Uh, I see lithium in substantial surplus. What has happened is that demand for lithium ha- has outstripped the industry's ability to create processing capabilities. Uh, in terms of reserves and resources, uh, you know, Alba Marley, SQM, those companies have access to really, truly vast, vast reserves and resources. What they haven't been able to do is construct process facilities, which is to say chemical plants quickly enough. Uh, I expect, too, uh, that after a sort of hiatus uh, in the copper price occasioned by a weak global economy, uh, that uh, copper will respond very well to the electrification of the world, not, not merely to batteries. Um, I'm very attracted to the cobalt market, uh, but I caution individual investors that investing in the cobalt market. Really investing in the cobalt market. I'm not talking about the exploration narrative for cobalt. But investing in the cobalt market itself involves investing in um, South Africa, Congo, or Russia. None of which bothers me particularly, but scares the hell uh, out of a lot of people. I'm also uh, attracted to sulfide nickel projects. Uh, Sulfide nickel projects when you find them are enormous money spinners. The difficulty is that they're fairly tough to find Uh, And certainly while I understand that uh, there is ongoing demand for laterite nickels too, uh, coming out of the Philippines and Indonesia What I'm particularly interested in is high quality high grade sulfide nickel deposits uh, Which I think in almost any market make investors a lot of money. So yes, I'm invested and interested in the whole panoply of battery metals, but I'm sort of uh, less oriented towards the Elon Musk Tesla story and more oriented towards increasing population growth uh, and the ascent of man as an investment thesis around electricity metals. Would you be bullish iron ore right now? Uh, I'm not. uh, Mercifully, I've been very, very wrong. You know, my own belief is that we enjoyed a 10-year economic recovery post-2009 and that that recovery was driven more by artificial liquidity than it was increases in productivity or increases in wealth or increases in trade. I'm not an economist, but in my life, a 10-year recovery has been one that's very long of tooth and overdue for a recession. When you combine that with the impact of COVID around the world in terms of diminution of, as an example, trade and production, I'm not sure that the economic shock that I think might happen has happened. Uh, I'm not saying necessarily that we're going to have a 2008-style event, but it wouldn't surprise me to see us have a good old-fashioned recession. Uh, Apparently, they're illegal recessions. Uh, Apparently, the big thinkers believe that they can obviate them all with money printing. But I'm not sure that the politicians or the central banks ultimately are bigger than markets. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see two or three or four years of uh, softness in the global economy. And I think that that would be or could be bad for iron ore. Now, I've held this belief for quite some time, and I've been spectacularly wrong.
0: Rick, what would be your advice to someone like me who, in their self-managed resource portfolio, tends to be fully deployed or close to it, not keeping 20% cash for a rainy day or or a recession, as you just said. What would be some advice you might give somebody like me on this?
1: Well, I I would argue I, I don't know enough about your portfolio to be able to critique your portfolio in that fashion. I assume, because you're young and you're aggressive and you have your finger on the pulse of the juniors, that your portfolio is overweighted to the juniors. Yes, Uh, And I can only say that the juniors have been on a tremendous tier, Uh, and in particular, over the last four months, the the amount of new issues and oversubscribed new issues has been spectacular. Uh, I personally expect the junior sector to hit an air pocket. Uh, You know, we always joke about the central banks printing phony currency, but the truth is that the private sector is always more efficient than the public sector, even when it comes to counterfeiting. And the Canadian dealer network can print phony share certificates just as fast as the Fed can print phony dollars, uh, and we're seeing the ability of companies to dilute efficiently enough to swamp any kind of demand. So, if you are uh, continue if you continue to be invested across the length and breadth of the junior market, as a consequence of momentum, I think you need to give your give your head a shake. Uh, I think you need to do absolute valuations and relative valuations. Uh, and you have to understand that the huge upside, which is apparent in the sector is always accompanied by huge downside. You need to consider too, that, uh, in every decent market we've had for the last 45 years, this can include rallies from oversold bottoms or bull markets that, uh, secular bull markets uh, or cyclical recoveries are always punctuated by cyclical declines and The cyclical declines can be really 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 dramatic The Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Resource Index can fall by 20% or 25% with the same ease that you and I inhale and exhale and to the extent that you aren't both psychologically uh, and financially prepared for that you can get shaken out uh, of uh, of a bull market just simply through volatility.
0: You know, that's excellent advice, Rick. But I'm curious, when, when you're looking at a private company in this stage of the market in, in today, 2020, what would be a private co in the junior space that would attract your dollars?
1: Well, the first thing that I look for is the lift. Uh, there are lots of companies coming private right now that have issued themselves 50 or 60 million shares at a penny or a fraction of a penny and have decided that they are willing to admit me at 10 cents or 15 cents. This is insane. This is a 95, or pardon me, a nine fold markup. Uh, it's as though uh, you went to your favorite nightclub to drink whiskey and chase girls uh, and there was a $300 cover charge uh, up from the normal four or five. So, the first thing I look at is what is the price of opportunity? I mean, I saw uh, a, an interesting opportunity today that was with people I like, uh, an interesting project. You know, I have a history with the people. I have a, the, the country is a problematic country, but not problematic for me. But these guys had issued themselves uh, 75 million shares. Uh, at an average of twenty five percent of the price that they were attempting to induce me to invest at, and I didn't see that enough work had been done with the money that they had already raised and spent to justify that increase. Um, so, you know, I think that we're in a stupidly overheated market uh, in the microcap space. and i'm I'm mostly passing. Uh, because the lift in these, quote, opportunities is obscene. The second thing that I always look for in private companies is simply who are the people uh, and is their track record of success closely linked to the task at hand, which is to say If the management team uh, describes themselves as successes in mining, uh, but their successes maybe were operating a a gold mine in Archean terrain in French-speaking Quebec, and the task at hand is exploring for copper gold in tertiary volcanics or accreted terrain uh, in the Spanish-speaking Peruvian Altiplano, I don't consider their experience to be relevant to the task at hand, so I'm unlikely to invest.
0: Rick, I know you're pressed for time, so before you go, I'd like you to ad- just address one thing. After our last interview, and you always give your generous offer to uh, critique and give feedback on my listeners' portfolios, uh, one person commented, well, I don't really think that this is Rick Rule even giving this advice and this feedback on these companies. Could you uh, address that, please?
1: Uh, I, update, I update personally the rankings database uh, every week to 10 days. The response is automated now. Uh, we had to because I've received 17,000 requests for rankings. So what happens is that the requests come in on a web form and they are automatically populated uh, out of a database that uh, I myself, of course, with assistance from the rest of Sprott, but the responsibility is mine, uh, update every week to 10 days. To the extent that individual questions are answered, Those questions are always answered by me.
0: And this offer is still open. I can put a link in the show notes.
1: Yes, absolutely. The best way to do it. And by the way, the response is much quicker than it used to be as a consequence of technology. (laughs) Uh, The uh, web address is sproutusacom forward slash rankings. We, meaning I, will rank your natural resource portfolios, at least those companies that I know, I'll comment on individual issues where I think my comments might have value, and I will include, as I always do, the Barron's Gold Mining Index uh, chart, which is a, an invaluable tool to see where we are relevant to, relative to past bull markets. And also a 100-year commodity chart, uh, which will show uh, how cheap commodities are relative to uh, other asset and investment classes going back 100 years. I've learned an awful lot and I've had an awful lot of really good conversations with folks doing this ranking. So I look forward to continuing to do it.
0: Excellent. You've been listening to the one and only Rick Rule of Sprott U.S. Holdings. Rick, thanks for coming on today's
1: show. Always a pleasure, Bill. I look forward to uh, doing it again.